Welcome to Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week, we are exploring the journey of Mr. Marcellus Clement. Marcellus is a former PE teacher and girls basketball coach who now serves as an assistant principal at Stephen Decatur Middle School in Clinton, Maryland. Marcellus earned his administrative certification from McDaniel College in Westminster, Maryland. On the last episode, we heard Marcellus' stories about how he developed his professionalism, work ethic, and high expectations for himself and his students. When Marcellus and I spoke just after the new year, I asked him about his time as a girls basketball coach, as I knew of this component of his work as an educator when we met back in 2013. As we spoke, it became clear that his coaching career informed how he approaches the process of evaluating teachers in his school and supporting their growth as practitioners. For you in terms of like your work and like, I'm assuming you're you're there in person because you're an administrator now. You yep. probably have to be regardless mm-hmm. of if students are there or not. So like, what's the deal with your students being there, not being there? What's that looked like throughout the year? Give me the breakdown. So it's very interesting. So during the summer, like right when the heat of the pandemic was going on, they mm-hmm. said, OK, administrators, secretaries, you guys are going to be part of a group where you guys go in the building twice a week. Like a flex so, schedule. Like a flex schedule. Cool. But at that time, me and my administrative team was going actually four days a week because we were saying, hey, if they're going to come back in school, let's go ahead and condition ourselves now to go back. Mm-hmm. So just in case we do, we're already in the rhythm of what's going on. Okay. Now, we have to wear masks at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually six feet apart in a way because we're in individual offices. But sometimes we meet together as a, at like at an admin table. But other than that, you know, for home, we're doing everything virtually like we're doing here on a Zoom or whatever. So what's different, though, is like when we go into classroom observations or go into the classroom, we definitely have to like go to everybody's Zoom. And it's like we're just a block and just looking at everything's going on. But we're still trying to evaluate them based on our model. What we use is FFT, Danielson Framework for Teaching. That's what we used in it, Illinois, it, too. Yeah. Yep. So we use that. And it's like the only thing we don't use is domain 2E, where you're organizing physical space, but everything for domain two, everything from domain three, we're still using it, but it's just virtual. And what's really interesting is at first it's scary for teachers because they're like, how am I going to do this? I'm being virtual. How can I, but when you think about the creativity they have, as far as how they design their lessons, how they output their lessons, it's like, wow, we could have been doing this years ago and thinking about never have any snow days. Like, oh, it's snowing. We can't go in. Let's go virtual. And I think it's going to challenge us to make sure we continue to think about what we can do because it may be a point where a kid is, let's say, suspended. You're in class, but you have your computer on because your kid has to know what's going on, why he's being suspended from the building. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about it um, to see what we can do for it. I know a lot of teachers and educators are so stressed out about it, and and I get it. You're you're home, sometimes you're dealing with teaching and you got your kids, you got two, you got your kids right next to you. Like, how can I do this and balance at the same time? And, you know, granted, I don't have any kids right now, but it's like, I know that's hard. But what I'm still excited about is if you're passionate about being in education, it's like the creativity you can really do to make sure you know these kids are getting educated in some type of way. The only kicker I would say that's bad of it is sometimes when kids are on screen, and they don't show their camera and you don't know if they're there or not. Are they truly getting instruction or are they playing like Fortnite or video games in the background while you're teaching? That's the only kicker. And so I I want to go back to what you kind of talked about before that you were kind of coming at it from a, a place of equity for students. And I haven't heard a yes. lot of people talk about the like silver linings of this virtual model in that regard. Um, 
that's just, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that. Is that something mm-hmm. that your team's talking a lot about in terms of like future planning and where you see the instruction in your school and in your district going or like where, where did that come from that realization? So I'll be honest, I got to give this to our CEO because what she said going in, well, let me back up a little bit. We had trial bases where kids were one-to-one with iPads or Chromebooks in only selected schools. Mm-hmm. And then when this pandemic came up, she said, okay, no, we're going one-to-one for the whole county. So she made sure every single student in the county was eligible or capable of having a Chromebook, or if you need a hotspot, have some hotspots out to go with your Chromebook or devices so you can be virtual learning. So because you're dealing with that gap, you understand it's some families that don't have anything, that live in low-income areas, Mm -hmm. they need to have that support of having a Chromebook and or hotspot. Or what the county did was kind of like shift our technology in our buildings. So let's say, for example, your internet's down in your house. You can go to any individual um, site, school site, where you can sit in their parking lot and get Wi-Fi that way off the school, as long as you want to sit there. And of course, of course, the weather's okay. So she really tried to break down that differentiation of what it is to be um, equity in as far as that balance for, for getting the Chromebooks, um, because we got to get fair chances for kids to have access in order to deliver instruction online. Um, and, and if they don't have access, we even partner with like Comcast and Verizon to see like, what can they do to provide internet services for like a discounted or free rate? But you have to uh, be eligible for that. Uh, so it's been really, really, uh, and it's not perfect. It's not perfect, but it's been really, really engaging to see how our CEO from the top wants to make sure, okay, we're in this situation. We're not going to make an excuse. Let's provide every opportunity for these kids that have the access they need. Evaluation process you're doing with, with your staff now. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what are those conversations sounding like and what are the types of feedback that you're providing? And like, how is it similar to the way you'd provide feedback and look at a lesson before? And how is it different now? Like the types of feedback and the conversations you're having. I think that's interesting. Oh, that's a very good question. Um, So let me think of it this way. Um, So sometimes when you're in a classroom, you see everything that's going on. Okay, you see an objective on the board. You see how the kids are interacting with each other. You're capturing student conversations. But now in the virtual aspect, you're only looking at from the teacher's point of view and how they're structuring it. So one great observation that I had with a teacher was she had a paraprofessional in the room. This group of students were called support inclusion. So you had a dynamic of gen ed students, then special education students who have an IEP, but it's only about 20 in the class. Okay. And let's say about 12 or 13 are gen ed, like traditional kids, and seven have IEPs. So with that, it's like, for example, she uses interactive boards or um, what they call like a discussion board, jam boards yeah. for discussions to come in for students to either post that online. And in the classroom, you, that might be, oh, let me call on this student because I haven't heard them yet. But this is the way to gauge each student to see, OK, have they participated yet or have they not? And then in, the, in that essence, when we talk about small groupings, now small groupings come into breakout rooms. So now I have to switch from, OK, the main teacher is here. 
why the pair is on this side. But it's funny that they're doing parallel things right now to attack both the gen ed kids' misconceptions and special ed kids. But when you look into the classroom, you don't know who is who and unless you get the IEP right then and there. Mm-hmm. So what's critical about this aspect is you really have to strategically plan how you're going to set that up virtually in order to execute it the right way. Yeah. So a lot of deficiencies you see in teachers doing, they're not doing because of planning. And the huge thing that we're doing right now with virtual is what we call like visual thinking strategies to get kids to look at a picture and let's ask some questions to guide some understanding of either background information or what you learn to see if that can lead to completing assignments. Because if you can speak about it and understand what you're doing, now let's try typing it or writing it in the Google Classroom or whatnot when it was all just hands-on worksheets sometimes or even like class discussions in person. So it's, it's just really weird of shifting from a whole classroom aspect to really focusing on how the teacher structures that class to make sure everybody's involved. That's the conversation having with a lot of my teacher education students. It's, it's a much more intentional pedagogy yes, than what we're yes. used to. And by by necessity, because like you said, you have to think these things out and what it's going to, how it's going to function in that space. But some, some of my students I'm finding it's more of a critical pedagogy than they otherwise might've had because they're considering access and considering participation, like you talked about, which yep. is, I think going to be a really good, a good byproduct of all this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping a lot of practitioners are going to start carrying those considerations over to coming back into a physical classroom space, or even maybe some of these kids are going to stay hybrid. Maybe some of them have autoimmune things and it's just not still not going to be a safe space for them. Cause we don't know if the vaccine is going to eliminate transmission or not yet. Right. Right. So. And it's very, it's just very interesting to see, like, once again, like won't, will we ever consider a normal what we had before a yeah. normal again? And like, this may be something we have to do for a long time now, but if you're really passionate about being in education, like you said, looking for practitioners, and I'm glad you said that word because that's a word we use often because cool. you could be a teacher, but you could be a practitioner too, because a practitioner goes way beyond to, and what we call adaptive versus technical things mm-hmm. where technical is like, you understand what you're doing and you just doing it. You got your calendar, you're checking things off the list, but adaptive is having that perfect purpose. And when you think of a practitioner, they're adaptive teachers to make sure they understand why they're doing things the way they're doing. How do you feel your experiences as a basketball coach bleed into that idea of intentional pedagogy and adapting? And are you still actively coaching? Or are you primarily just doing the admin stuff now? Just the admin stuff. And I miss coaching so much, but you I mean, know, I know what's you very funny, what's very funny to that and, and in process of going to like right now, of course, and I share this with you just but making this public for the podcast. Um, right now I'm shifting from trying to go from assistant principal to have my own building and becoming a principal. And a lot of my philosophies has to do with what I did in basketball coaching because it's the same thing. Yeah. And when you think about it, I compare sports and administration together a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I feel like as a principal, you're the head coach of a team, right? And then head coach, you have your assistant coaches, which are assistant principals. And then you have your position coaches in football, like your quarterback coach, wide receiver coach. Those are your teacher leaders. So a lot of the things that I would do in coaching is like, it's the same thing that applies in leadership when it comes to administration. I have to make sure my coaching staff is all on the same page in order for my teachers to to execute the plays and then let's see if we can get a touchdown or see if we can kick a field goal. You're going to get some gains, you're going to get some losses. Sometimes you'll fumble, sometimes you'll throw an interception. Um, but it seems like, you know, when we're all working on the same page, it's, it's a massive piece that happens. It's just what do we have to do to get there? And the way you would coach Tom Brady 
is not the same way that you would coach Jimmy Garoppolo. You have to make sure you differentiate to your learners, to their learning styles and to their strengths about how they're doing. So I have to make sure I keep that same mindset that as a coach, I would have to coach players differently. Now I got to coach teachers differently. But the key word in both aspects is coaching to make them better. And you were, just to clarify, Tom Acker, it was middle school girls basketball you were coaching or was it high school? I can't remember. So I did both. I started with middle school, then I got a high school opportunity. So when I first got into the county back in 2009, I coached five years on the middle school level. Mm -hmm. Then after that, I did get an offer to coach a high school uh, position. I coached there for five years. Gotcha. And you, you miss it quite a bit. I do. I, I really do. It's nothing like the excitement that comes with coaching, but I still get some of those aspects when, I, when I'm when i an administrator. It's sometimes it's not the same, but I get those same excitements at points. I could tell by the way you were talking about, you know, facilitating, because I don't, I don't like to use the word conducting an evaluation. Ooh. Like when I do that with my students, I'm, yep. I'm like facilitating it or I'm part, I'm, I'm part of it with you. And yep. I, what can we kind of construct as terms of new understanding together? Mm-hmm. And I, I can tell just by the way you talked about it, that that's how you, you approached it in a similar way. So oh, absolutely. About it. Especially like just even written feedback. Cause I know one of the things that we're huge on is, okay, let's get verbal, but follow up with written feedback or vice mm-hmm. versa. Start with written and then come to verbal. Because sometimes when you, write something, it doesn't come across the same way that you would say it. So one thing I always like to do, okay, things that I notice, which are good, and things that maybe we can improve on. And I want to put the good stuff first, and then let's shift to things that we can improve on, because I want to make sure I acknowledge both aspects. I'm coaching because I want to know, hey, this was great. Hand claps to this. But think about this in the future, how this can improve. Um, that's that's always huge for me. I, and not to baby people, but when you give people positive feedback first, it allows them to say, okay, I was great. This is what I did well. But then let's work on things of how we can improve on that. And it's all about how you communicate that. And as being vulnerable on that as well. Yeah. And I think I think everybody has like a heightened sense of vulnerability right now because yes. we're, we're really putting ourselves out there and using instructional approaches that are just very novel to us yep. right now. I certainly yep. feel that way in terms of the higher education teaching I'm doing. Um, are you finding that that approach, I mean, I would assume that it's working well with your staff, but like what, um, I guess, have there been any like challenges that you've had to coach people through or have you, are you finding like common things that you're having to work through in those conversations? Cause I mean, you're probably learning as you go. 100%. Giving that feedback in this format. Yep. 100%. One thing I would say is one thing that we struggle with, and I'm not sure if you had this in Illinois too, but co-teaching. Um, co-teaching was a struggle for us because we have a gen ed and, and co-teaching. I mentioned a paraprofessional before, but we yes. have like two certified teachers. Sometimes the special education teacher just waits for that gen ed teacher just to do what they need to do and they'll follow suit. But we want to make sure both people have impact into the room. Mm. So one time I gave feedback to this math teacher um, and he was very defensive because he felt like he was being picked on because of how many administrators came and evaluated him. And it was informal. It wasn't even a formal observation. So one of my partners observed him like a day or two before. I didn't know. Then I came in and followed up behind him just to see on something different. I wanted to see co-teaching. My partner wanted to see his content of how he was instructing. So 
when I was trying to give them feedback, sometimes teachers get defensive because if you tell them wrong, it feels like, well, I'm trying the best I can. You know, I'm working hard. I'm doing long hours. And I get that. But it's not the point of the, how long you're working. I just want you to be intentional, like that word that we used before, mm-hmm. of what you're doing, especially with the co-teacher, because if you're doing something this way, are you really affecting all your students? I want you to think about that. And how I'm communicating with you is not to talk about your practice, but what we need to do to improve. So dealing with personalities of people being defensive when you're trying to critique them because they are not ready to learn about how to make themselves better. They think they already, you know, the best thing that's since sliced bread. Um, but that's not always the case. Yeah. And I wonder too, if we stopped making feedback and evaluations part of an accountability process mm-hmm. where like you waited against, you know, retention and tenure and things. I know in Illinois, yeah. the, the percentage of what a teacher's uh, accountability evaluation, it was like increasing steadily over the years they had it saying out the lid and I'm, yeah and I know in Georgia I believe that's the same too I don't have to deal with that my eval which I'm working on right now looks totally different but um mm-hmm. sometimes I wonder if we if we parse that separately if people would be more feel more safe and less vulnerable in those moments absolutely even going back to FFT like somebody panics when they get a basic on their evaluation and a basic doesn't mean bad basic means like if you're coming in you're a teacher that's what you're expected to do that's basic but you have to be better to be proficient or even if somebody get a C a C is technically average you're doing what the average of what everybody's supposed to be doing but you got to go above or even excellent to be even better Um, and sometimes people don't make that connection Marcellus recognizes that the pandemic is certainly challenging teachers to stretch their conceptualizations of teaching and learning. However, he also sees this time as an opportunity to innovate and pursue greater educational equity for students. He treats the evaluation process as a vehicle for promoting teachers' growth and improvement rather than a punitive measure, much like how he supported his student-athletes as a basketball coach. We will finish exploring Marcellus's narrative of teaching on the next episode of Journeys of Teaching. You can follow Marcellus on Twitter at MrClementEDU. That's M-R-C-L-E-M-E-N-T-E-D-U. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening.